Hello everyone, and welcome to a What Would The Spawn Party Do bonus episode. This weekend we were down in Dragomeet in London for a one-day convention. It's getting bigger and bigger every year as it happens. We were lucky enough to seminar up with our good friends, the good friends of Jackson Elias. We tried to answer the question between us. Are our role-playing games just customised versions of D&D? Unfortunately, Scott Dorwood from the good friends couldn't make it. Too scared, probably, as Rob Schwab was suggested that we knife fight in the car park as a, a way of resolving this question. He decided, probably quite rightly, to stay at home. So Paul Fricker, who was going to be an impartial chairman, decided to join in. And Mike Mason, line editor of Call of Cthulhu Rockland Game, kindly stood in for us to chair proceedings. It was an interesting and lively debate. And we took a vote at the end to decide if the question put to the audience was in fact right or wrong. But no spoilers for now, dear listeners. Just sit back and relax and listen to our fantastic seminar at the Dragon Meat Convention. Howdy, Smart Party fans. Thanks to the amazing backing of our loyal patrons, and your first issue of Smart Scene is now available to download at DriveThruRPG. For the ridiculously low price of a mere $3, it can be nestling within your hard drive in seconds. Thrill to the advice of Trad Brad in Indiana, wax nostalgic with the 90s, chortle as you play con bingo. Just type Smart Scene into the search bar over at DriveThru. Years from now, you'll be able to say with confidence, I like their early stuff the best. Stay smart now! I'll just preface things before we get going with uh, the fact that I uh, am not Scott Dorwood. Scott Dorwood, unfortunately, can't be with us today. And uh, so I've been asked to step in. And uh, hello, I'm Mike Mason. Uh, from Kersium, and I'll be moderating this panel in a in a fashion. And uh, the panel today you've come to uh, enjoy, because that is the word, enjoy. All other RPGs are just customised versions of Dungeons & Dragons, is a debate. Now, I think, I have no prior knowledge of this, that the two sides to me uh, are opposing views. I'm unsure what those views are, but I'm going to pass the microphone down, starting with uh, my good friend uh, Baz, who's going to introduce himself and uh, give a one-line starting opinion, and then we'll move down. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Baz, co-host of What Would the Smart Party Do? with my co-host Gats, who you'll hear from in a minute. He's the northern one, I'm the southern one. So I burgle places and he's got no money. Um, our side, I think, for this debate is that we, I think, agree that all role-playing games are essentially descendants of D&D and have their DNA running through them in one way or another, to which the entirety of my argument is hit points. Your witness. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Gaz. If you don't know me, I'm the other half. I've got to use the directional microphone, as I'm telling you. I think you just wanted to touch my hand. Didn't you? Uh, that's all right. Yes, I agree with Baz on many things and disagree on many things as well. Some people think that we sleep together like Bert and Ernie in a bed, but actually we do have disagreements. But on this, we are one mind. And in fact, if it wasn't for D&D, there wouldn't be any role-playing. So, case closed, Ronnie. Thanks very much. Okay, uh, Matt. Matt. Apologise in advance for my voice. <laughs> um, hello, I'm Matt Sanderson. Um, representing the no part of this debate, my immediate counter to hit points would be plot immunity. So there are games that do not use hit points. 
Hello, I'm Paul Fricker. I'm also with the good friends Jackson Elias. We're not called the No Party Map. And <laughs> 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 um, yes, as uh, as Mike says, apologies that Scott isn't here. Um, he uh, apparently he has chills. They're multiplying, and he's losing control. More on that story later. Um, we are of the mind that. Yeah, there are many role-playing games out there, and there are a great diversity of them. And not all of them are like Dungeons and Dragons. And there you have it. So now we can talk about the new Canoe releases. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I knew there'd be a price <laughs> This is the price we pay. Right, okay. So it's a pretty bold statement, uh, you pair, on the uh, Smart Party. Um, so... You mentioned hit points, you know, but we all just going to say no. Um, so give me some actual valid reason. You know, I mean, okay, D&D started things off, but I mean, the hub is grown. You know, the whole indie revolution went in a, took things in a whole different direction. Things have moved on. You know, it's not, you know, the DNA of DNA of D&D, you know, it's very weak these days in most games. So come on, give me a better argument than dice and hit points. Yeah, I suppose the DNA of D&D has had, what, 40-odd years now to be diluted to an extent. But it's definitely still there. Um, I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples, I suppose. I think there's probably a fair point to be made, and I'm sure my erstwhile colleagues at the end there will make this point that story games are a thing. I kind of get that. But I'm here to talk about role-playing games, so that will be different. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm in safe hands here. I would, I would just, uh, there was an example the other day of a game I was listening to, an actual play podcast. And um, the game wasn't D&D, but I'll sum up the events of the story that I heard. It was a really good podcast, actually. So what happened was there was a team of characters who were off on a mission, and each of the characters had little specialisms. So one of them was like really good at close fighting, and one of them could do stuff at range, and one was quite talky. And they encountered an ambush, and the combat ensued, and, and everyone got quite excited with some of the dice rolls. There were critical hits and, and fumbles and stuff like that. And there was rolls to hit, and there was rolls to damage. And at the end of it, when all the baddies were defeated, there was like an arcane item that had magical powers that the players picked up and were really excited about. And it was a really good actual play of um, Polk Cthulhu, I think it's called. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Scott was running it, and that might be why he's not here now to defend himself. And running D&D, but not calling it that. <laughs> yeah, and I think if we look at Cthulhu, which is something close to your heart, Mike, um, when we decide, how, how can we model this, Sunday please? Or how can I model the descent into madness? I know, I've got hit points. I'll just use sanity points. And uh, I'll cast spells. I'll use magic points. So even in the most current edition of Cthulhu, which... Paul's handcrafted with others as well. Uh, you still use these points for stuff. And all that is, um, I mentioned plotting, but really that's just a pacing mechanic. So even in more indie games, like something like Dead of Night, for example, you have survival points. It's still there in the DNA. And that's just used as a way of pacing the game across. So they eventually run out of survival points, and then the game comes to some sort of conclusion. So these kind of uh, amalgam of story and using some sort of rules to kind of guide things along and then get to a point after some pacing that you get to a conclusion is still there, I think, in most games. Well, statements made by the smart party. Okay, good friends. Well, there's an interesting term you used there, um, critical hits. You know that was introduced in Empire of the Petal Throne rather than D&D, yeah? 
Mm -hmm. Oh, of course I knew. I was just checking that you knew. <laughs> I'm glad you're all right. <laughs> when looking at games that evolved about the same time as D&D, I mean, D&D, you could even argue that it's actually a customized version of Chainmail, so that it is a game that has evolved from a pre-existing game. Um, there were games that were inspired by D&D, yep, that goes without saying. Um, going back to 1975, so a year before, about a year after, rather, the first release of D&D, you have, as mentioned, Empire the Petrol Pro. There are lots of different sources that Guy Gax and Joe mentioned were inspirational to the creation of D&D. Uh, classical mythology, um, contemporary fiction, the 60s and 70s, particularly fantasy, obviously uh, played a large part in that. But Empire the Petrol Pro is an example of a game that derived from a completely different set of influences, um, particularly M.A.R. Baker, had been developing the Tekken Mouse setting as a fictional setting for some decades prior to that. So, almost case in point, the fact that he introduced a set, uh, an idea into mechanics that, while inspired by D&D, became something else entirely, and then D&D went, yeah, we'll make that. We'll have that. So, it's as much as other games are customizations of it, it certainly has its own, like the English language, it steals from everything it can. So, if you think about D&D as beer, right? <laughs> a few beers in here right now. But there's a wide variety of beer. You're not all drinking the same beer. But myself, I'm not applying for a job on the US Supreme Court, so I can say I'm not a fan of beer. But I make my own cider. What do I make cider from? I make it from apples. There is no constituent part of cider that goes into beer. My point is that there are role-playing games like D&D, and I would agree that there are a lot of games like D&D that have you know, use a similar setting and different rules, or similar rules and different setting, and so on. But there are also games that are of a totally different uh, brew, if you like. So if you take a game like Dogs in the Vineyard, I think there are no hit points. It doesn't use the, the rules. Have very, it uses dice. That's about the only parallel you can make, perhaps. Uh, there are other games, such as uh, Witch. Uh, I think it's called The Road to Lindisfarne, mm -hmm. which is no dice, no mechanics, it's just free-form storytelling. But there is role-playing within it. It's definitely a role-playing game. It's a very different animal to Dungeons & Dragons. It's hard to see that one came from the other. I would argue. Marine Quest is quite different to D&D. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you say D&D is the you know, forerunner and the, the, the plug through all role-playing games, um, aren't we actually saying the bits, you know, taking the hit points aside, and we're talking about narrative plots and an adventure to a quest or a goal, um, aren't we talking that D&D stole that from books and novels and storytelling? And that if you see it in another game, it's not to do with D&D, it's actually the uh, you know, long tradition of storytelling that's actually informing role-playing games. I put to you, Baz. <laughs> I love it when you put things to me. <laughs> Not in me, though. Not in me, just to me, or near me. That's fine as well. Um, I don't disagree. I don't disagree at all. But uh, what I love about D&D is that um, it really got things started and it, and it made a game out of storytelling as opposed to just a pastime or something you might do around the campfire. And it put that structure into it. And, and genuinely, if it wasn't for Guy Gaxon Arneson and others, M.A.R. Barker, putting those kind of constituents together to make that magic brew or cider, none of us would be in this room. So for me, I think it's it's just beyond debate that D&D runs through role-playing games. I think the really important question is, why is that a problem for some people? 
why deny that? Why feel that D&D is sullying your modern game or your game of choice that you want to play? The fact of the matter is, it's your grandfather, and you can't choose your relatives. So you might as well get down with the fact that your game doesn't have to be like D&D, but if it weren't for D&D, it would not exist. I thought you were going to drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> That's scheduled for 52 minutes. <laughs> uh, so you've mentioned which the Road to Lindisfarne and other things, and you've mentioned storytelling. And I think that's it's risking opening up the rift of Trad versus Indy, which we'll try and steer away from because it's a fallacious argument anyway. But there is that kind of point to our argument, I think, that we're talking about role-playing games, as Baz mentioned earlier. If you get something as far to the indie as which, that is just purely a free-form storytelling game, as you described it yourself. It's not really... If you said, I'm playing a role-playing game, that wouldn't be the first thing people thought of, you know, jump to their mind, that sort of thing. And if you're going that far, you might as well call... Uh, Freeforms role-playing games, you might as well large role-playing games or improv theatre. So when we say D&D's, you know, basically the, the, the Dini Air runs through it, we're not really talking about theatre or street art or modern dance, because that's that's kind of the end of the scale you're going to. So I think really by role-playing games, we're talking trad-ish. I don't want to drive a, a big line and say there's trad and indie, but games that have some sort of system, as soon as you bring things into it that don't have a system, that involves mechanics, then you're really not talking about the same sort of thing. And I think that argument's probably a little bit weak. You're weak, Paul. What would you say about that? <laughs> I'd like to know what Gaz has to say about Hot War. I know he's a fan of Hot War. How does Hot War relate to the ND? I'm liking the microphone, Patsy. <laughs> I, li- I like to be <laughs> useful. How <laughs> <laughs> useful your time, right? uh, So Hot War's got... Um, is more towards the story side of things and the, the mechanics are designed to build playing game though, story. Right? Yeah, I think so. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> Still yet to decide. I think it I think is. The word is yet. <laughs> yeah, on reflection, yes. Is this, is where I was, that's what I meant by I think so, yeah. I'm Mike, thinking about it, Mike, yes. Mike, record us a point to us. <laughs> It is, but it's, it still comes down to he wants to drive conflicts, and that's what part of D&D was from the start, is you go into a dungeon or whatever, you go exploring, and you tell you versus nature to get somewhere where you're going, or if you're in a dungeon, you're fighting monsters to get to the end. And all Hot War did, well, not all it did, it did quite a lot of things, but one of the main things it did was reduce down things from task-based systems in D&D, you try and break your door down or whatever, to the conflict. So instead of making lots of roles, it said, I don't want to do, focus on that as much, I'd rather focus on storytelling and the, the chatting that we're having around the table, and then we'll just have one big fight and roll one set of dice for it. So the DNA of uh, having conflicts, rolling dice to resolve them, moving the story forward, that's all still there, even in a fairly unrecognisable format from traditional D&D. Uh, but it's still got the story exploration, the pacing mechanic in terms of your factional agenda or your personal agenda, and you ultimately come to a resolution having rolled some dice for to make decisions for you. Just touching on back what Baz said a minute or two ago, is it, I mean, do you have a problem with the fact that, you know, there is a... Uh, a trace of D&D in what most would consider, you know, tabletop role-playing games. Uh, do you, is that a problem for you, or do you, you know, fundamentally, you know, think actually things have moved on, and, and that actually, you know, yeah, the fact, you know, yeah, yeah, of course there's a slight trace because it's a role-playing game, and if we didn't have D&D, there wouldn't be role-playing games, perhaps. Yes, you know, we all kind of can give a nod to that, but do you feel things have actually genuinely moved forward and actually, you know, they have now left D&D behind in that sense, and you know they are forging their own paths, you know, across the board. 
Yeah, I'd say that D&D does a particular thing very well. It tells a particular story very well, but it's not the particular type of story that I want to tell. Um, in particular, some games that almost um, subvert some of the D&D tropes, um, one of the big ones there is monsters. There are two instances I can think of in particular where rather than just, I'm going to go into a room, whip out my sword and smack it around a bit, it's not a game about people who it. It could be a game where, um, for instance, the guy might look particularly normal, you end up killing him, only to find his avatar in the after the tap, and then you've got a whole lot of sand loss. That's a monster you didn't want to kill. Or if it's completely dark, you pick up your sword, you're instantly dead. Even better. It's subverting those tropes of going as specifically on a combat dash. And I mean, I like a nice bit of subversion and destroying rules every so often. Well, I've also had a, a missive from Dirk the Dice, who can't be here today, but produces the Grognard Files podcast. Uh, and uh, he sent me this message to say that Mark Miller, the creator of Traveller, uh, with Games Designer Workshop, back in 1968, before D&D, uh, was working in a... Traveller! <laughs> was working in a political science classroom, working on role-playing games where students uh, took the roles of candidates and political aides. It sounds like kind of West Wing role-playing game. And so he was doing this before Guy Gax and Anderson bought out uh, D&D in 74. And also, if uh, if my good friend Scott Dorwood were here, not only would he be stroking his long grey beard like Gandalf, he would be talking ad infinitum about Dallas the RPG. <laughs> now, Scott had the pleasure of playing Dallas online with some friends recently. And he attests to the fact that it is nothing like your traditional role-playing game. There are no combat mechanics, there are no um, hit points or any of that malarkey, but it does need 10 players, otherwise you can't play it. And, well, I might be breaking the deal a bit here, but apparently he did drop, uh, he did drop out of the game after about two hours, I think. I don't know what was going on there. So, <laughs> so if Scott were here, he'd want me to mention it. Yes, sir. Huh? I can't say, I can't say who shot him, though. <laughs> So the point is, there were things, role-playing games, perhaps, before D&D. Dallas. Yeah. Word. Dallas. So there you have an example of something you know that exists that really doesn't bear a lot of relation to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, is, so is Gaz Googling it now? He's <laughs> <laughs> getting, getting the next answer from the computer. Fact-checking. <laughs> Baz, thanks. We'll have none of that. Um, Dallas, the role-playing game. Played it. Owned it. Um, and I think, I think if you're relying on Dallas the RPG to prove that there's, <laughs> there's no D&D in every role-playing game, then I concede the argument right away. <laughs> I absolutely do, you know? Um, no, fine, fair play, it doesn't exist. But I think even that game still has a game master. I think it still has players. I think there is still a story to tell with a beginning, a middle, and an end. I think there is still the idea of campaign play and coming back week after week to see what happens next. I think from memory there may even be advancement within it. So it still maintains some of those elements of it. You use the analogy of a beer, maybe I can use one of a car. A Mini still has an engine and four wheels and a windscreen, so there's a Porsche. They still get you from A to B. They're both cars, but of course you're not going to see many Minis winning the Indianapolis 500. It's there, even in Dallas, and certainly in Traveller, 
there may well have been that bit where you've got parallel development happening at the same time, but you know, we can't go back to the myths of history to say who thought of it first. The fact of the matter is that the victor, the spoils, and the victor was D&D in the 70s, it's still the victor now. Whether we play it or we don't play it, that's what's happening three rooms away. They call it Pathfinder, but that's what's happening, and that's got all the people playing it. Popular doesn't mean good, good doesn't mean best, but it's undeniable that there's D&D in your game. It's floating around in the soup that you love to play. And why not just embrace that? I'm not saying you have to go and play D&D. Of course I'm not at all. I rarely play it myself. Um, I prefer other games. I prefer other ways of delivering my fun. But to say that it hasn't got D&D in it would be like driving my car and telling myself I'm on a monocycle. I'm really not, am I? Do you... I mean, I, I, I used to like when you point, you two, or not? Have you got... Oh, you want to come back? All right, here you go. He's had to bring in Dirk. 50-year-old game, the bloke who was near. <laughs> but you would agree that Dallas from 1978 has changed the face of role-playing games. I mean, that's not like... <laughs> I, mean, it's barely... I was going to be like, if I was chairing this, I was, be, I was preparing myself for, like, holding Scott back. Like, you can't keep going on about Dallas every five minutes. Nobody's played it. Nobody's but I'm going to play... Can I play the Lynn Hardy card here? Do it. Right, well, you're saying that. Unless you're bringing her in to fight. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, this, this topic came from a discussion that I had with a friend after going to Concrete Cow, the games convention in Milton Keynes that you should all come to. Now, I, on the Sunday afterwards, I went to my regular D&D group and uh, met with uh, my friend Craig, and I said, oh yeah, yesterday I was at Concrete Cow, and I joined in a game of uh, the Storm Hack. It's like Stormbringer, but somebody had done a hack of it. And he's like, well, why is every game called a something hack. You know, there's um, the black hack and, and various games with uh, amended with the word hack on the end. And he's like, well, why aren't they just called the game? Why does it have to have hack on the end? And I made the kind of observation that aren't all role-playing games just a hack of the original D&D from 1974? And that's kind of still the side I'm on. Oh, I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, this is the Lynn Harley card, because uh, myself and uh, Mike were on a panel last year at Necronomicon, and there were two of us arguing that... I was, I was with Lynn, arguing that like classic Call of Cthulhu is better than Pulp Cthulhu. And then five minutes in, Lynn's like, actually, I prefer Pulp. <laughs> Traitor. But it's for the audience to decide. <laughs> Indeed. So, I mean, just going off Paul's point there about the fact you, you've got this kind of... Well, there's a current trend, isn't there, of basically, as I would term it, in very general terms, everyone's playing basic D&D. They're calling it hack this or hack that or OSR or whatever it was you want to call it. But let's just face facts. It's basic D&D. Or Lamentations with, of Flame Conception. Which is basic D&D. <laughs> Why, 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 why isn't anyone playing hacks of other early games in this way? Is it just because D and D is flexible and what people want to play, or is it you know no one's got any imagination and everyone's just like, oh, it's easy. I'll just change that and I'll do my own hack and get a fiver and book for it. I don't know. What, what do you reckon? Yeah, so we're an interesting place now where technologies enable people to be self-publishers. So if you want to hang, sit away on your laptop. If I, I could write a game now, let's do that for the next half an hour. Let's just make a game. But it's the sort of thing you can do in your own bedroom and then publish out there on drive-thru, or you can get a publisher who'll put 
physical books on table, you can get print on demand. So what's happening now is that people who used to just be at home and do their own version of D&D or whatever game it is they're playing are now putting it out there on the internet so other people can buy it as well. So we spoke here last year to David Black, for example, we're chatting to him at the bar saying, you know, how did this all come out? What's it about? It's like, I'm just playing D&D and, you know, I've got my house rules. And that's a, what a lot of these games are now. It's just people's house rules of the game they've always played. Or Diddy as well seems to be a bit of a lingua franca. So if you're trying to get some games together in a place you don't know, if you put a sign up saying, I'm running D&D, you'll get players, guaranteed. If you put up, I'm running Dallas RPG, I'm not sure what you get. Like my mum might be interested, but you're pretty weak on... So I think it's just the, the OSR, the hacks, all that kind of stuff. You get a lot more of that that's D&D related because it's the lingua franca, the, the vastly superior game in terms of numbers played has got to be D&D. Have we reached peak hack yet? Because there's, there's a lot of it about, and surely, uh, you know, what, the one thing I've noticed in my old age of gaming is uh, gaming is cyclic, and things go around, and people get fed up of playing the same game for a while, and they want to go to something else for a while. You know, whether it's, you know, they've played Warhammer for two years, and now they want to go and do something else, or they've played D&D for two years, and now they want to do something else, and vice versa. I think that's a really good observation. I think we are approaching peak hack. Um, given that I've got my own hack in development, I hope it will last another couple of weeks. So, you know, look out for your Christmas stockings. My hack might be in it. I think we're now at the stage that perhaps role-playing was in in the early 80s, where D&D had been around for five or six years, which is how long 5th edition has now been around, and you have this massive influx into the hobby, which I think 5th edition has brought into the hobby, and now a lot of those guys might be looking to take a different path. They might be looking at those D10s and wondering what happens if you roll two of them together and what happens if you have to roll low all of a sudden and their minds kind of warp and twist and end up being one of your customers. <laughs> I think we might be getting to the stage now where that, that new wave of role-playing is about to happen. And I think the indie game movement and the, well, the story game movement is doing its own thing and plowing its own furrow and going through its own stuff. But I think trap gaming might be about to morph into a new wave like we got in the, in the 80s where we had superhero gaming happened and then eventually it turned into White Wolf and the 90s were its own thing and D&D was very much on the down at that point. I think the next 10 years of gaming could be very experimental and very interesting and I think that you may scrub DNA clean of D&D in that decade. It will be interesting. It remains to be seen what are the 17-year-olds doing as they put away their monster manuals, what are they going to pick up next? I suspect they're going to write their own thing. And it'll be really interesting to see what it is. Yeah, just to quickly add, there's um, a big preponderance now of Critical Role, LA by Night's another show that's like bigger than Amos' Vampire. So I think we're at that point now where most people, certainly from my experience speaking to shopkeepers, speaking to people in education, is that people watch Critical Role or some other show like that, and then go, I want to do that. And then rather than like, I learned off a mate, someone else learned off their brother, someone at school might have had it, you think how most of us got into gaming. Now it seems to be people see it on Twitch, on YouTube, whatever, and that's how they get into gaming. And predominantly what they see is going to be something like a D&D type game, but as we're discussing, Elliot by Night, for example, is based on a vampire chronicle, and uh, the vampire people behind that are starting to put stuff out there on, on the internet as well, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see a complete cycle of where we were when only D&D and Traveller and Cthulhu existed, and things started moving on. I think that's starting to happen for new people now. There's no point trying to force people out of D&D, as some people have tried to do and make them play better games with inverted commas, but I think we've naturally got to that point in the cycle where people have played it for 10 years, or 5 years, or whatever, and now want to try something different. Yeah. 
I, I'm certainly, I certainly see on forums, on general RPG forums and Cthulhu forums, where I get, I see people coming on who uh, haven't played, you know, Call of Cthulhu before, uh, and they're posting saying, you know, we've been playing X game for for a few months or a few years now. Um, I've heard about this, and it sounds like it would be a great change for our group for a while. Uh, uh, you know, what, what do I need to get, or how do I get into it? That kind of thing. I see that appearing quite a lot these days. Um, what about what about you guys? In fact, that's actually one of the um, recent topics of one of our podcast episodes is um, Call of Duty for Beginners. And one point actually I'd like to go back to that's um, been mentioned there a couple of times is the target audience. Uh, there was the comment made about 17-year-olds putting up their DMs guides. Um, I would argue that, going back to the all-other part, the all-encompassing part of this um, argument, there are games out there which are very orientated. Um, you have Cult, in all its very different forms. That is not a game I'd run for anyone who's a teenager or under. Um, arguably under armies, a lot of the things in there. Or pretty much anything run by Scott Dorwood. So there are definitely games out there which are for a very different audience. I think addressing the hacks that, that uh, we were talking about earlier, it's interesting with role-playing games that you know, you're very creative people and as soon as you get a scenario or a game, I bet most of the people in here make some tweaks to it. They start changing it, they start you know, adding bits in and changing things because the game is very much about improvisation and creativity. I mean, it's tactics and things in, in some role-playing games as well, but a lot of it is down to creativity. And people read rules and either they don't quite understand them and they reinterpret them, or they do understand them and they don't really like it, so they tweak it a bit. So even back in, I think it was 1975, then we got Tunnels and Trolls, like a year after D&D came out. And that's clearly a hack of D&D. It's a fun game but it is clearly D&D. So this has just been carrying on for a very long time. And um, yeah, I think I think Baz is right. I think we are seeing a big influx of new people to the hobby now. 10 years ago, we were on panels where people were sort of saying, oh, role-playing games dying out, you know, it's gonna, you know, this is the last sort of throes of it. Um, and, you know, computer games are gonna supplant actual tabletop role-playing games. That doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, when I heard about actual plays, well, even on audio actual plays, I kind of thought, are people going to want to listen to that? Yeah, I can kind of see people might want to listen to that. But on video, my opinion was nobody's going to want to watch that. Well, clearly I know what I'm talking about. No, I don't. Because it's really, really popular. Uh, it's massively popular. And uh, yeah, I mean, as I've said, we get people coming on to Milton Keynes Role Playing Game Club, and they've just seen it on the on the internet, on YouTube or Twitch, and they want to play it. So it's bringing in a massive amount of people into our hobby. Um, and you know, conventions like this, and Games Expo, and so on, uh, just seem to be increasing year on year. We'll use the example of Stranger Things. There is a bit more publicising. That would be indeed. <laughs> if I'm reading the panel correctly. We all kind of agree that there's a bit of D and D in everything. Stay now if you disagree, panel. There is a little bit of D and D in whatever whatever shape or form that may be. You know, there is a little bit here and there. But um, I'm, I'm interested in you know certainly in things like you know how people come into role playing these days. I think you're absolutely right. I think you know gone are the days of um, here's a massive book. This is how you all learn to role play. 
I think people learn off, you know, the internet like they learn off most things off the internet these days in terms of if you're the younger generation. Um, but what does the audience think? So we're going to open up to a few, you know, comments, uh, points of view, a question maybe, but there is a rule. If you want to ask a question, you have to come up here and you have to speak into this microphone because these are both podcasts and they can't hear you over the internet if you don't speak into the microphone. So, if you ask a question, please come up, ask a question. Any questions? Yes, over there. Please come on up. I feel like we should have some music now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Hello. Hi, I'm Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Um, this is going to be a really badly worded uh, question because I'm not quite sure what I mean when I'm thinking about it. But... Wait till you hear the badly worded answers. Yeah. <laughs> so, one of the things that you're talking about is very much like the systems and the dice rolling, having a game master in charge. Is that fundamentally something that D&D created or is that something that we as humans having an oral history with Greek myth and the way that Homer tells stories, is that just not storytelling? So really, would it <coughs> Having a dungeon master telling story and then people joining in, is that D&D exclusively? Also, dice rolling, well, yeah, okay, is that D&D exclusively or is just the core system, which is like very old school, advanced dungeon graphics and stuff, and that being taken, is that fundamentally D&D? Or if you just take a dice and it's a D6 because you have it and you roll it like a voodoo hack, I wouldn't necessarily agree that it's D&D. i just say I'm taking a tool and using it for a different system. I don't know how you would agree with that. Stuff like Monster Hearts, you know, that's very much more about scenes and character relationships. It's got an MC, it's not necessarily about that overarching, you know, I'm going to go into a room and fight a, a demon and that kind of stuff. I mean, there are elements there, but I wouldn't call that D&D. So I'm more on Matt's side, but I don't know how you guys that. Again, that question was long-winded, I'm so sorry. That's fine, that's fine. <laughs> That's a great question and a great point of view. And, you know, similar, similarly, um, you know, Pandragon deals with generations. It doesn't deal with a single, you know, there's a, there's the arc of rah, rah, that you need to go and find from the dragon of rah, and that's the story. It's, it's bigger than that. It's a much bigger story, um, which goes beyond, you know, perhaps the narrative bit of D&D. But, um, any, do you want to come back on anything, uh, from that? Um, yeah, thanks, Catherine. I think you make a really good point. And it wasn't badly worded at all. Um, I think old white dudes like me get really hung up on systems. Um, And I think systems are like the bane of role-playing sometimes. We always seem to be looking for a better game and we look for a better system to enable that. When, going back to talking about 17-year-olds or 15-year-olds, whoever's getting into the hobby now, um, I mean, I'm lucky enough to be a school teacher by trade. So I spend a lot of time talking with kids and... And they just don't have the same hang-ups that we've always had when it comes to systems. When they're doing gaming, they're just doing gaming. And they refer to it all as gaming. In the same way as they refer to eating as eating, not spaghetti bolognese or fish fingers or whatever. They just don't differentiate. Because what they're interested in is hanging out with their mates, making some shit up, occasionally rolling some dice, because it's quite fun to see if you can get the biggest number that's on there, and then just seeing what happens. And I know loads of people who say that they're playing D&D, but with a little bit of examination, you realize they're not playing D&D as maybe D&D players would know it. They don't have paladins and armor classes and stuff. They might be teenagers in a future Tokyo, but they still call it D&D. They're not worried anymore about the labels that I've spent 40 years building up. 
And I feel like an idiot sometimes for constantly talking about systems all the time. The five people on this panel, we've probably played a hundred games between us of different systems, whatever, but I think we're all here as role players. And I think it's taken that younger generation to really show me that the system doesn't matter so much. It is much more about hanging out with your mates. When you're playing Monopoly, you're not really being a capitalist. There's, there is a theme to the game, and you're not really there to roll the two dice either. I mean, arguably, you should be doing something much more fun with your time. But it's much, it's much more about the culture. I've always maintained that the most important thing in a role-playing game is the level of snacks. That's more important than your character sheet being formatted in landscape or portrait as to whether there's a GM intervention dice. Look at the chairs. They're the things that are going to improve your game or not, much more than any system. And I think, thank goodness, the teenagers are getting into the hobby. Don't give a monkeys about my armour class. So I feel we should have some friction. I, I'm going to say the system matters. Just to break up this side of the panel as well. Still have to be shared. So it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll take my point. For example, Monster Hearts you mentioned. I think one of the interesting things that shows in the strand of D&D in there is the fact that you have an MC. They've not called it DM, but they have that role. Uh, and there's lots of other rules in there about who gets to speak when and strings and what relationships are involved. I think that game could be gemless, quite happily. I think you can have the rules in the game to enable, enable a bunch of people to sit around a table and play, play that game without having to have, or, you know, a lot of the Apocalypse World games are basically engines for, for telling a story, but I don't think there needs to be a DM role. I think you could make it gemless quite easily. Sure. <laughs> so, I agree about the Dungeon Master and the MC um, at one point, but don't think most games have a referee. So, is that exclusively D&D, or is you need a referee to be in charge of the meeting to get your referee football for the size, so you have a referee for what the game is? Yeah, so... No, not, necess not necessarily, but I think that the Dungeon Master role in D&D is someone who's also another player around the table. They've just got an asymmetric system. So they're running monsters or other, M other NPCs or whatever it might be, but they've got a role to play, and they roll some dice to see whether their characters get to do what they want them to do as in terms of an adversary. So a referee in you know, a netball game or whatever has not got that role. They're just arbitrating from the outside. Whereas most of role-playing games, I would say, have a referee of sorts as another player but with a different set of rules to run. Um, and I, I think you can, certainly with some of the more modern games, eliminate that role if you want to and just have the rules written down for how you all play that game. And that's why you have gemless games now and that sort of thing. So I think it's just interesting that the Apocalypse World thing has an MC, which I think is a hangover from D&D. And if D&D exists, I think it'd be gemless as a game. Would a gemless game then not be a game? They're not role games. <laughs> I'm trying not to have tried anything because I'm not getting trouble. It's a blurry line, let's put it that way. Should we do that? So, as I understand it, back in the early 70s, Gygax and Anderson were playing war games and they were playing uh, First World War setting uh, in the trenches. And in war games, you wouldn't have a games master, you'd have you know, Mark, me, playing you, and we've got figures on the table and landscape and so on, and rules. But they start having people digging, the sappers digging tunnels from the trenches under the enemy trench. Now, obviously, the other player shouldn't know where those trenches are, shouldn't know where those tunnels are, where the, you know, uh, bombs or whatever are going to be under the, the trenches. So they introduced a games master who was a neutral referee within that. 
And that was incorporated into the early versions of D&D. So you had a games master, and you were playing individual characters. So I think that concept of having a, a, a kind of neutral, if you like, a, a chairperson to the game, whether you call it an MC or a DM or a games moderator, or whatever version of that you want, does come from the original D&D, it's my understanding. Uh, and to, to Baz's point about you know how we used to play, I think back in the, the early 80s, as I recall it, that we, there weren't so many games. There were a lot of games even then, it seemed. There was such an explosion <laughs> of games in the, in the late 70s and early 80s. But we would just play D&D, because that was all we knew. But we'd play all sorts of different versions of it, and we'd do all sorts of things in those games that nowadays I think we'd be playing a different game. We, it, we would have a different name, and we'd be doing that thing. But I perceive that now, and this is a gross generalization, but we seem more interested in systems, and we play, we're more confined by that system. So if we're playing that game with that system, we do that thing. If we're going to do something else, we go and get a different game with a different system. Um, whereas I think, you know, you just used to loosely improvise around the one thing you've got, and that was kind of all encompassing. And that was D&D for me. It's good. Yeah, I'll come to you in just a sec. Um, just to sort of tag into the whole wargaming thing, um, the, I think, you know, that's nice history that you said, Paul. The real history with wargaming has to, a few of us on the panel who have worked in the wargaming industry will know. You put two <laughs> wargamers together uh, with the same rule set, they will still argue. And uh, inevitably, they will have to go, Ref, uh -huh. somebody tell us what to do because we can't agree on the rule. Well, the rules are black and white. It clearly, clearly should be clear, but still they can't do it. So I think that's where refs came from. But anyway, uh, so Andrew, you've got a question, yeah? Doesn't this really all go back to the very, very early days? There were Traveller players, and there were D&D &D players, and they were the twain who played each other's games. And actually, are we all just skirting around here, and actually there's a certain amount of snobbery as well in these games, where you know there are those that will play D&D, &D and there are those that will play anything else but. What do you guys think about that? Snobbery in role-playing. Does it exist? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I am a born again d and I spent the late 80s and all of the 90s pretending I didn't love it and then I had to come back to it because I realised it was loads of fun and all of the games of cult I'd been playing had been destroying my very soul and sucking the life out of my hobby so I got my D20 back on hardcore in the year 2000 and turned into a bit of an evangelical about it as well so I've gone from proper snobbery, uh, playing The Whispering Vault and other amazing games like that, where I could be a real snob about D&D, &D, to becoming the born-again D&D that I am today, which means I'm now an inverted snob, which is the better kind. <laughs> so now, when people dismiss D&D &D to me, I probably see slightly more red than I used to when I was that person. It's like the guy who's given up smoking. You can't shut him up. Yeah, I think it's very true. I, I think mainly these days people seem to be calming down a little bit about it all. There's still tribalism wherever you go. I just get groups of human beings together. Uh, like the last week or two in the OSR community, if there's such a thing, there's been nothing but knife fights and screaming and rending of hair and stuff. Uh, and uh, why people are arguing about pretend elf games, so obviously I don't understand. But you know, 
I think games, if anything, are more close together now. I'm bringing this, maybe not back to D&D in terms of rule set or an ethos, maybe, but I think people just want to play games more. I think that, you know, the advent of Twitch and YouTube and all that kind of stuff's helping more people get into games, but ultimately we're, we're a tribal being and humans are going to go, what I'm playing is better than what you're playing. And we all need to understand that what one person's meat is another person's poison and that some games are better for some people than others. It's not, they're not better, it's better for individuals. Absolutely. It's all about enjoyment, isn't it? Um, I would argue maybe that it's not a specific system or specific game that people feel snobbery over, but the genre. Um, because you can find people that might like Vestal Horror, they've played Cult, they've played Chill, they've played Cthulhu, there's a whole range of games that are in that uh, bracket. But then, they, like me, they despise fantasy. Um, because the minute a combat starts, my head will hit the table and I'll say, wait, I'm it's finished. Whereas you give me a good puzzle to solve in a game, I'm all over it. It's, I think, more designed what the story is and what the type of thing you're doing and what the focus of that yeah, and what that game is about that people might be snobbish in inverted commas. Yeah, I think 10 or 15 years ago, with the growth of the indie games movement, there was a big kind of division between trad and indie, and that seems to be lessening now. Particularly, it seems to be a kickback against old school D&D, or just D&D, um, back in the early 2000s. That seemed to be something that was, you know, we didn't want to be associated with somehow. But now, it seems like that's almost become part of indie games. There's so many OSR hacks and versions of that that are now somehow indie. So, the whole tours, it seems to me, are just kind of meshed together. And... People aren't so concerned with that division anymore, is my perception. Okay, we've got um, the last few minutes, so probably time for one more thing. So um, I'm looking, and you've got your hand raised, so please come over. Hiya. Hiya. Hello. Um, so, I'm all quite nervous now, so. Big <laughs> um, I wasn't expecting to stand up here. So, um, Okay, there is a question in here somewhere, but you might have to dig for it. So, a while back, I got back into the hobby. Uh, I started with basic fantasy roleplay, like a kit up for like four quid off Amazon. Um, wrote my family in, got an adventure, went on. My wife would not kill any orcs. It was, it was like, well, they might be good. No, they're orcs. Have you not read the Hobbit? No, no. So. That was a complete bust. Went to Call of Cthulhu, Quick Start Rules, and my wife was hard of hearing. So one of the things I could do for her is I could give her lip reading, and it made it much more personal. Rather than her playing, I forget what she played, the magic user, she was actually playing a real person. And I think D&D takes you away from that, whereas other games, Call of Cthulhu, takes you back to real experiences which are more inclusive. So I could run a game which was inclusive of somebody who would otherwise go, mm, which is my who would probably not listen to this. Anyway. anyway, thank you. Thanks for your point. Um, Paul? Well, you can thank Matt. You can thank Mike for the fact that lip reading is in there. <laughs> I was like, why do you want lip reading as a skill? 
So it became an optional rule because we couldn't decide on that one. Um, but um, but yeah, I think that's one of the positives of Call of Cthulhu is that you kind of latch into playing a real life character, and that's kind of an easy thing to latch into. And I don't know, it does seem like when we talk about role playing games, I've been playing um, uh, what is it, Tomb of Annihilation or whatever it's called, the, the D and D campaign for the last year or so, and it's been great fun. I've really enjoyed it, but I don't feel I'm role-playing as much as in playing a character as strongly as I do when I play some other games. I don't know if that's the same for everybody. I'm guessing it probably isn't. Indeed, there's been an emphasis on the kind of divide between do you look at combat more in a game or do you look at role-playing more in a game, right way back to the start when you can think of Bunnies and Burrows. And even then, being that a game that came out fairly recently after the ending, its emphasis was specifically role-playing, knowing your place in the food chain, and solving and solving problems without violence. Because frankly, you're going to get stomped on by any, uh, by any human boot that comes along. I'm loving the, the references you keep making of <laughs> Dallas RPG, Bunnies and Burrows. I mean, you've got the, the big guns the big <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the good things about the hobby generally, and certainly D&D's uh, helped with this uh, more recently, has been more inclusive. So if you look at the artwork, it's including DE, for example, there's a lot more people of colour or women or, you know, the, there's definitely a trend throughout the hobby generally, which is a good thing to see of getting more people included in doing all we can. So, well, I'll take your point that specific skills might give you a hook or give one of your players a hook. I think D&D generally and the hobby as a whole, thank goodness, is just getting more inclusive and, and looking for ways to get more people involved in getting it rather than creating barriers. I agree. So do I. So we're uh, we're just coming up on time. So I'm going to hand the microphone again around the table for you know what what whatever parting comment, statement, truth or lie you wish to uh, you know to convey uh, to to everyone in the room. Uh, I'll pass it down. And also, this is your final opportunity to uh, uh, you know sell whatever it is you want to sell. So <laughs> start with uh, Gaz. Hello, everybody. You should all follow the Welcome to the Smart Point of View podcast and become loyal patrons. We're working on the second Smart Z right now. I think, um, I don't know, are we going to have a vote on it at the end about whether. Would you like a vote on it at the end? Let's have a vote about whether we're having a yes. vote. Yeah, we're going to have a vote, I think. Definitely. We might need two. Possibly, yeah. We might have a runoff vote. <laughs> it depends on the first result. A people's vote. Right. <laughs> we'll go back to the one made in 1972 and see that we'll like it. Um, as long as Robin doesn't get a vote, because he's only just turned up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one. So I think uh, mainly you should vote for for our motion that all, all games have some DNA of D&D in them, because we've proved it with facts, for starters. Uh, we're generally just nicer people. And Matt really hates D&D, so if you vote this motion through, I have to admit he's been playing it for the last 30 years. Trust <laughs> me, that's not the case. <laughs> um, I, I think D&D got a lot of things right. Um, and it got them right straight out of the gate, and we should all be perhaps a little bit more respectful of that. There's nothing particularly wrong with a strength stat. There's nothing particularly wrong with hit points. There's nothing particularly wrong with rolling dice and killing orcs in rooms for pie. I still like it, and I'm not the only one. So, you know, don't get too elitist about your game where you are all about relationships and magnetic fish. Enjoy yourself, but don't forget everybody loves a critical hit. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'll draw you back to the wording of the original question. 
<laughs> All other RPGs are just customized versions of D&D. To customize is to alter partially. If you alter something a little bit, that's fine. If you alter something wholesale, completely, like using the car analogy, ripping off the wheels, getting rid of the GM, changing the dice system, using a whole pool of dice, you've got to roll the bucket like it's altered, or any other wholesale change like that, setting, theme, genre, then that cannot apply to all. <laughs> good luck, Paul. Alright, so, uh, yeah, you should follow the good friends of Jackson Live. You should also follow the Smart Party, because I've been listening to them recently, and, uh, yes, they do a very good job. <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. Thank you. love it up here. Uh, <laughs> and Gaz talked about diversity in gaming being, uh, you know, a great thing, and it is really increasing year on year. And also is the diversity of games. So, there's a whole host of games out there. Nobody really cares which one you play. Go and play them. They're fun. Don't really matter which one you're doing. Hi, we're uh, got the Chaosum stand here at Dragon Meet today, and um, if you'd like to see how the uh, strand of D and D goes through the role playing games, then please come to Sand and buy some games to look at it. Likewise, um, if you'd like to play a game that's got no strand of D and D in it, then come and buy our games as well. Um, so either way, please come along. Uh, we will end uh, we'll end this with a vote then. Okay, so I'm going to ask the, the the question that was posed. Uh, and we'll have a two show of hands, okay? So, uh, the question is, all other RPGs are just customised versions of D&D. Those who agree, please raise your hand now. Yeah. Oh, so we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven people have agreed it's technically you, with the smart party. It's how you spot the intelligent people in the room. Uh, those who disagree with the uh, statement, please raise your hand. There's a lot more. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, There's ten, eleven, twelve, more. That, more. Those, those who don't know or, or abstain, please raise your hands. Three, four, five people. Uh, uh, I'm afraid uh, all RPGs are not customized versions of D&D according to the audience panel. What do they know? Uh, what, what do they know? You'll notice the audience are not currently playing games, unlike the D&D players. Unlike the D&D players, yeah. <laughs> So... I can, still, I can still take that as a win, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Paul plays on both sides. Yeah, exactly that. So, uh, yeah, so thank you for attending. Uh, thank you for my uh, panelists, Baz and Gaz from the Smart Party, and Paul and Matt from the Good Friends of Jackson Elias. I've been Mike Mason, your host. You're welcome. Good night.